2: Welcome in to another off-season edition of the roto NBA podcast. It is Tuesday, September 20th. Happy 23rd birthday to Kyle Anderson of the San Antonio Spurs. And happy 26th birthday to Donatus Matiunas of... Who does Donatus Matiunas currently play for?
1: I don't know. I mean, the trade got voided to Detroit. He went yeah. back to Houston. I'm assuming he's still in Houston. I mean, forget about the birthday. His back is 85 years old. It is.
2: I don't think he has a team right now. I think he's technically JR Smith territory. A free agent. Yeah, I don't know. Well, if if you know where Donata's Mighty is right now, uh, please let us know. But Nick Whalen here with DJ Trainer. We're going to start getting these podcasts going a little bit more frequently as we're a little under a month now away from the start of the NBA regular season. We're going to talk Giannis and Kumpo extension. That's been the big news this week. The NBA uh, Vegas wins over unders just came out about ten minutes before we sat down to record this. So we'll go through some of those. We'll talk about the more interesting wins totals, uh, and then we'll get into some more uh, some more fantasy talk. Uh, some guys that are in in new situations. Some players: Al Horford, uh, Kevin Durant, of course, guys like Dwight Howard who have moved to new teams, and other guys, you know, uh, a Paul Millsap, uh, Jimmy Butler, who find themselves with the same team but in drastically different situations than they were last season. So we'll start with the Giannis extension. Four years, $100 million uh, is what he gets. Uh, people were a little bit shocked, I think, yesterday that – he didn't get the full max, um, and you know it later came out that that Giannis kind of threw the Bucks a little bit of a bone and, and saved them about six million dollars uh, against the cap for for future flexibility. He's locked in as a buck now for the next five seasons. He, he's still going to be playing twenty sixteen seventeen under the final uh, final year, I should say. Of his rookie deal, so he'll be paid just under three million dollars next year, and then that'll jump up to I think around twenty-two or twenty-three million dollars beginning with twenty seventeen eighteen, and then of course the the four-year extension will have kicked in at that point. The Bucks did not offer him the five-year designated max; uh, that would have been around one hundred thirty-eight million. The reason for that, it kind of goes both ways. Um, you know, one that's that's a percentage based. Um, contracts. So you know the four years, hundred million is locked in, regardless of what happens with the CBA after next year. Whether the cap goes up, whether the cap goes down over the next four years, Giannis is getting one hundred million dollars, no options, you know, no less, no more. Had he done the five year designated max, he could have gotten more money. But had the salary cap decreased, had there been you know an issue with the lockout where the season shortened, basically he it was a risk that he could have made more money, he could have made less money. Both sides uh, made what looks to be the safer choice here.
1: Yeah, so so how I look at the situation, like he was going to take this extension. It was foregone conclusion. Right. The Bucks ha- the Bucks had to offer yeah. it to him. But the the funny kind of part is what I look at, I look at Kevin Durant and how, you know, 9 years he was beholden to Oklahoma City because he was so good. Of course he's going to accept the, his rookie contract extension. And now right. we're kind of taking a few steps back and looking at like, you know, what, you know, what Kevin Durant was dealing with back, you know, when he had to decide to stay in Oklahoma and then he leaves. It's it's because, you know, the, fiscally, it makes sense for these guys to stay in whatever market they're in. Sure, Giannis could be a much bigger star if he played in LA, played in New York, but again, fiscally, he stays with the Bucs, and the Bucks really have to, you know, obviously, they want to keep him, so it's kind of fun to take a couple steps back and remember what that Kevin Durant situation was back when we had to sign this extension.
2: Yeah, well, it's not a surprise to see, like you said, a player sign an extension after his rookie season. I mean, almost any big-time star does something along these lines, but this seems to be encouraging from a long-term perspective. I mean, Giannis has said all the right things, although so do most players when they sign these extensions. So, you know, we'll see. I guess we'll revisit this uh, in five years. But for now, the Bucks have their franchise centerpiece locked up. They can start looking toward, you know, how they're going to you know, construct Jabari Parker's next contract, whoever else they're going to end up paying. Um, and they have now some long-term flexibility. This is just not something that's hanging over them. Had they waited, I believe the deadline is October 31st. Uh, to sign this extension. Had they waited, Giannis would have been a restricted free agent. Um, And, you know, then you kind of back into that same cycle of having to match offers, having to worry about, you know, that five-year designated max. Basically, this just gets it all off the table uh, and it's not going to be something that's hanging over the franchise's head. But at the end of the day, Giannis was probably always going to sign this deal. He was never really going to leave Milwaukee, at least not this early. Uh, So, you know, the deal itself, maybe the figures come as a bit of a surprise, but the fact that it got done uh, really shouldn't be a surprise at all. The good thing is this isn't going to turn into something like a Kevin Love situation where, you know, he was basically lowballed by the Timberwolves after his rookie deal. I think did he sign a, a two plus one at that point, he wanted the full max, the Timberwolves wouldn't give it to him. And, you know, it, it ends up in a situation where Kevin Love basically has all the leverage. He's able to go to Cleveland uh, and, and it worked out, I guess, for both sides. But at the end of the day, I, I think this seems to be uh, a suitable solution for both Antetokounmpo and the Bucks before the all-star break last season. Giannis averaged 16.7 rebounds, 3 assists, had an offensive rating of 106. After the All-Star break in 28 games, 18.8 points, 8.5 rebounds, just over 7 assists, and a 112 offensive rating. And we've talked about this Bucks team probably more than we ever should on this podcast. Um, but they weren't any better, really, after the break from a wins and loss perspective. That said, they were a whole lot more fun to watch. Giannis, uh, as an individual, you know, was much, much better, at least statistically.
1: Yeah, I I think that's what we'll take away. Just to take a step back real quick on that Kevin Love, just to tie up loose ends, he signed a four-year, $61 million extension in January 2012 that included an option for him to opt out after three years. Mm -hmm. Um, So just just to clear that up there. Um, But yeah, for Giannis, the big thing is, yes, he could be in the first round of pretty much every single style and format of fantasy league that you're in this season. If you know and you feel confident that he's going to stay at the point guard position for the majority of his minutes. That means he's going to be a triple-double threat every single game. That means he's going to be worthy of being drafted in the first round. But here's the issue. Teams at the end, latter end of seasons always try out things when they've already been ruled out of the playoffs, not mathematically but realistically. And that's what the Bucks were last season. We saw the Timberwolves do that as well. They started their youngest slashed Uh, most promising or upside guys as they're starting five. That's why Gorgie Jang moved into the power forward spot. Does it mean that they're going to start the next season and and do that? No, because these teams think that they can actually make it to the playoffs again, and so they give up on that. You know Those things that we want to see from a fantasy perspective or as looking at a player's upside and wanting to see that. So, Do I think that Giannis is going to play the entire season at point guard? I honestly have no idea, but if you're drafting him in the first round, that should mean that you think he is going to see the majority of his time and the majority of his game is playing point
2: guard? I think he'll start at point guard, you know, nominally most games, but they still have Michael Carter-Williams. They still have Tyler Ennis, who they seem to somewhat like, um, and even Malcolm Brogdon might play a little bit of point guard at times this year. So, you know, I think there's going to be plenty of times where Giannis is on the court and he's not right on the ball. Um, I think they made a point, especially after the all-star break last year, to, to get the ball to Giannis, you know, in transition after rebounds. I would like to see that loosen up a little bit more. You know, you don't have to kill what maybe maybe you have a fast break and the ball is in Giannis's hands. I don't want to see the Bucks necessarily waiting around just to get the ball in Giannis's hands when it's not necessarily um, you know, the best basketball play. So, there's going to be I think he's going to get point guard eligibility obviously in most leagues, but he's going to spend plenty of time on the ball, he's going to spend plenty of time off the ball. I think it's going to be hard for him to put up, you know, near triple-doubles at the rate that he was at the end of last season. Um, but at the same time, the usage really didn't rise all that much. You know, his usage rate was only up, I think, three percentage points. Uh, Pre all star to post all star. Well, you said this. You
1: said this in our most recent podcast, which came out a couple of weeks ago, Nick. And you said that just now, um, but you said it very nonchalantly. And I want to reiterate it for sure: is that the winning percentage of the Bucks when he moved to point guard versus when he wasn't at point guard didn't change at all. I mean, and that's the impetus for deciding Jason Kidd and the organization as a whole deciding whether or not they want to play him at point guard. And you know what? Things didn't drastically change, and so there really isn't a firm backbone as a fantasy. You know, as a fantasy community, to believe that he will be at point guard because you know they want to keep fantasy owners happy, that, no, that's not, that's I think never that's going to happen, Close course.
2: to the bottom of Jason Kidd's list of priorities, so yeah, I mean, we'll see. I think it's certainly not locked in, you know, that they're not going to announce in mid September that Jans is starting all 82 games at point guard, so we'll see uh, how that ultimately shakes out. NBA wins totals are out, as we said at the top. Surprise, surprise. Golden State Warriors, number one uh, for the second year in a row. They began last year uh, with an over-under of 60.5 wins. That's up to 66.5 now, over-under. Yeah,
1: and let's let's remind everyone, they won 73 games last season, and this team is, I mean, remarkably better than last year's team, but still Vegas is going to be somewhat on the conservative side in terms of breaking all-time records. I think the early, the early money is going to be on the over here just because, you know, your first, first betters in are going to be saying uh, this team won 73 games last year and now the team they have, you know, right now is even better than that. So the, it could be over. What I've been saying all along this offseason, and I will continue to say throughout the season, there's no reason for them to chase that record again. I think the 66-and-a-half is way more, you know, 50-50 than maybe some people's initial reaction is.
2: I don't know what to think. I think Vegas always nails these, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's borne out by the end of the season that they're, that they're considerably off. But it's hard to look at most of these wins totals, you know, Warriors or otherwise, and, and, you know, have many qualms with them. But 66 and a half to me is right on that borderline where you have to start considering every single factor from potential injuries to rest to is- how they're going to fit together. And I guess that's the point of what, exactly what Vegas is trying to do.
1: But the interesting thing with this Warriors team is Clay Thompson gets hurt, Curry gets hurt, Durant gets hurt. It doesn't matter. Pick one of those, and I still think that they could reach the 66-and-a-half marker. And so this seems like, from a betting perspective, to be, you know, you have, like, one layer of of fail-proof or something like that.
2: Yeah, Yeah, and and 66 wins is a lot and seems like a lot, but, I mean, LeBron, one of LeBron's first Cavaliers teams got to 66 wins. Um, You know, one of the Heat teams, I believe it was 2012-13, got to sixty six wins. So I mean, and if you just wanna look roster to roster, I think this Golden State team is head and shoulders above where those teams were and those were very talented teams, especially that Miami team. But I don't think there's really much of a comparison here. So I think the 66-and-a-half comes with concern for rest more than anything, right?
1: Yeah, no, that's my major concern. I hope that's clear. Is that obviously this team, we both can agree and everyone will agree, this team is definitely good enough to reach 67 wins, 66-and-a-half, because the Spurs last year got to 67. Uh, and last year's, like I said, Golden State team got to 73. So this team is good enough. There's no doubt about that. But do they have enough determination? And my point this whole season, again, I'll reiterate it, is they don't need to have that determination. To be that good in
2: the in this season they have nothing to prove it's all about the playoffs i mean I do think though that they they would almost have to go to an extreme or go out of their way to rest you know two three four of these main guys on certain nights to lose these games like they they might be able to just build in more rest than any other team in the league and still cruise to sixty eight wins that's fair i I think it's going to be a very spursian approach right where- but I mean if you're sitting durant one game you still have Draymond you still have Clay you still have Curry if you sit Curry the next game then you have the other three no, I, I don't think they necessarily the, the resting doesn't have to come at the expense of the team's success like I don't think they're going to have this insane mindset like they did last year to get to 73 wins I think it might just happen because they're that talented
1: yeah what a luxury that is right. for, for a team. well and the like other that. thing
2: too is I mean the west is deep but it's not as deep at the top you know I, I think they're going to be favored by a pretty decent margin in just about any game. I think the Spurs got worse. I think they'll be they'll be fine um you know as far as regular season wins. I don't I don't think they they did much to load up as far as challenging Golden State. The Clippers will always be a tough out, but beyond that, I mean I like the Grizzlies. I like the Jazz. I, I, li- I still like OKC. I like Minnesota, but those teams don't hold a candle to the talent that Golden State has. Yeah, not even close. It,
1: like you, you said it right. You you can toss out, and I said it too. You know, one of those guys gets injured, or even they're resting, they should be favored in all the games mm-hmm. they play. I mean, the only the only thing that could go wrong here is if two guys get injured, and even yeah, then, even they're still though, a very very. It depends, good team. Which, you
2: know. I mean, we don't want to start getting into the crazy rabbit hole of speculating hypothetical Warriors injuries, but like if if Clay and I don't know Durant even go down for twenty games at the same time. Like they'll stay afloat. You know they're not they're not going to go twenty and zero over that span, but they'll stay afloat. Um, So Golden State's at sixty six and a half. There's two teams below them, ten fewer wins. This is the gap here between one and two. The Cavaliers are at fifty six and a half. That's the same number that they opened at last season. Spurs are at fifty six and a half. Both of these seem about right to me. Um, You know the, the same questions that you have about Golden State. I think you can you can kind of raise about Cleveland as well. Um, you know, I think if anything the the difference is Golden State maybe has that hunger from losing the finals that they want to come back and and kind of reprove themselves and resolidify themselves as the best team regular season and playoffs in the league. Cleveland you could kind of see taking it a little bit easy um but you know that that's one of those things to me that seems more speculative than anything else i i don't think internally in cleveland they're they're just resting around saying you know let's just cruise through this season and, and get to the playoffs
1: yeah most definitely i think it'd be du- well i think it'd be dumb for them not to do that
2: right but I, I i think there's not this mindset of oh maybe we'll just go out and lose tonight like i think you still want to win every game I, I don't i think that's overblown the whole the effort thing like, there's some pride involved here. Well, the I'll Cavs say aren't just going to come over and, and just lay over for these first 25 games of the year. I agree, but that that mindset doesn't really kick in until the fourth quarter. Like yeah. you go
1: out there and you kind of do your thing. That's and how the, the Cavs, Cavs operated are, last yeah, year. That's though, what going to say. The they, Cavs... didn't, they
2: didn't start trying until the second half. A lot of games in, in 2015, 16. Well, they're more of
1: the same then. Yeah.
2: So that, that's that's why I think 56 and a half is fine. That in theory probably wins the East. You know, by a couple games. I think the Cavs could be considerably better than this if the effort is there um and as weird as this sounds to say if they're able to re-sign jr smith because i mean you're going into year three now of basically the same group playing together you didn't have kyrie for the first half of last season uh you didn't have kevin love to end uh 2014-15 so i think this could be the year where you know if they're able to play like they did in the postseason I mean you, you forget they won their first what 10 games in the postseason before dropping two to toronto uh and obviously went and and had that comeback against golden state if there's any carryover there and, you know, you're doing most of this now against the Eastern Conference, I think this could be a sixty win team.
1: You know what's funny is I think the Cavs really do need J.R. Smith maybe more than they're willing to admit or Cavs fans are willing to admit. Now, many, many times, and they and they can stagger, you know, this is the old kind of like the old issue with Scotty Brooks and maybe even now with the Thunder 2s like you didn't really they didn't really stagger Westbrook and Durant properly where you have always have one guy on the court for whatever reason they had, you know, like Eric Maynor or Cameron Payne yeah, or something. Shout somebody. out to Eric Maynor. Yeah. Shout out to Eric Maynor, like running the the second team offense. Now with this Cavs team what they did at portions last year is they let J.R. Smith bas- basically run the second-team offense. Now, when J.R. Smith runs an offense, all that means is he's going one-on-one and jacking up shots, which is okay. The funny thing is, if you don't have J.R. Smith on this team, I don't even think you have somebody on this team like you know B-level that can do that for you. Mike Dunleavy's not going to quote-unquote run your second-team offense,
2: and so they could be hurting... No, he's not. Quote-unquote or any quote to right
1: Right, so they need somebody who's at least going to jack up shots, so maybe that means Mo Williams will play a bigger role than he did last season um but it, essentially so. they need to well who else is it going to be I mean, mo williams like still might retire i think well i mean but honestly who's it going to be nick because i don't you know, know that's
2: why they need jr i think you're right i just yeah. i don't think there are i don't think there are any options really maybe I
1: mean, jr's camp knows that
2: yeah they know that of course they. i mean he they they he wants to be back in cleveland cleveland wants him back they you know it's just kind of a i think jr himself said it best like neither side wants to be taken advantage of the other but in some ways that's kind of how it's going to have to work i mean the cavs can dip in even deeper to the luxury tax and re sign jr at the rate that he wants but is that the smart move going forward i don't know when you look at the other options probably not but at the same time like i'm sure cleveland's not operating this way but you know they got their title you know i think it's a little bit harder now once you're Dan Gilbert to justify digging even deeper into those pockets because you can, you can always turn back and say you know if there's any backlash to not signing jr it's Hey, we just won the title. You know, like you got what you want. Like I I get that you want to defend the title, but I think it was a little easier to rationalize that kind of what was in some ways wild and unpredictable spending the spree really that they went on over the last two years. So we'll see what happens with Jr. If he's back, I like this Cleveland team for a couple more wins just because of what he brings as a shooter. I don't think you know the names that you listed. Dunleavy is certainly a good shooter, but. He doesn't get it off as quickly as JR does. He doesn't hit the type of tough shots that JR One-on-one does. Stuff. And he's not good as good as good of a defender. I don't I don't think JR is a great defender by any means, but he's a very capable defender and he's got the size to stick with, you know, twos and threes. So either way, Cleveland should be uh, at- atop the Eastern Conference. The Boston Celtics are at fifty-one and a half wins. I said to you before we started recording it, wouldn't shock me? if this Celtics team took the next step and and ended up maybe winning the East during the regular season, kind of similar to how that that Pacers team would always challenge LeBron's Heat, who would never try during the regular season, come playoff time, you know, the the Cavaliers or, or the then Heat would end up taking over. I could see that situation kind of transpiring here. I think Boston was really, really good last season. They basically added exactly what they were missing, and that was, you know, a versatile big man who can spread the floor. That's exactly what Al Horford brings to the table. So 51 and a half for them. I think that's maybe one or two wins too low, but you know, it could be spot on.
3: Yeah.
1: So in comparison, last year they had 48 wins. Um, the Raptors. So here's the situation I like in this, too. I think Boston is basically this year's Raptors, where, you know, maybe they'll, like, Boston's going to play hard all 82 games and they'll get super close to reaching the Cavs. The Cavs only ended up winning the East by one full game, by right. the way. And so when the Cavaliers need, you know, need to, like, look behind, p- press the gas pedal and go, they'll do it um, because it just makes sense. You never know who's going to get hurt. You know, maybe somebody sprains their, like, if LeBron sprains his ankle, but he'll be back, for the finals and not the Eastern Conference finals or something like that. You need home court advantage, so I don't think they're going to slide down far enough, but you're right. I wouldn't be surprised if Boston maybe caught them by surprise and snuck into one seed. Does that mean anything at all? No, absolutely, absolutely not. The teams maybe I'm more so interested in, Nick, that we're getting to right now, The Jazz, the Oklahoma City Thunder, and the Wolves. Now, the Jazz and the Wolves because you've got two young cores that are really getting better. It's just a question of how much better can they be. And OKC, of course, Russell Westbrook is really, really good, and he's going to be super fun to watch. But that doesn't translate directly to wins like it does for somebody like LeBron James or something like that. So these three teams are the the teams that I really want to dig into on the over-under and get your feel for.
2: Yeah, I mean, like you said with LeBron, there's only maybe three, four players in the NBA that really carry that 10 win. You know, for LeBron, it might be a 20 win swing. You know, wherever he goes, it doesn't matter who's the supporting cast. You know, you can give them a plus 20. Westbrook is probably worth, you know, it depends, I guess, who's around him. He's maybe worth a plus five, plus it's, 10, depending on those right situations. tough situation, with Westbrook
1: in particular because he doesn't, I mean, we can get everybody's yeah, heard it, that. Everybody's heard Charles Barkley we and we anybody don't need to else get into talk that, about but it. But yeah.
2: I think OKC at 45.5. Is about right. Um, I think that could be lower if if things go south for them because there's not a ton of depth there. I don't love their front court outside of Stephen Adams. I mean, not only did you lose KD, you also lost Ibaka, and I, I know Ibaka's numbers have have been on the decline. I think his scoring, block shots, and rebounding have all declined each of the last three years. Um, but at the same time, this is a guy who's been there, you know, since this thing was built, and he's kind of been you know more or less the third option. For what's been a really, really good team for the last five or six years. So you lose you're losing your first option and your third option. That means more Steven Adams, but I, I don't know if anybody that they brought in can space the floor and rebound like Ibaka can. I mean, Ursan is you know, so much more of a hit or miss guy to me than Ibaka ever was. Well, let
1: me talk about Ursan real quick because, in terms of offense, Ibaka was only given what whatever, uh, or was only took whatever Westbrook and Durant gave him. Right. Ibaka never went out there and created his own shot. So, so the loss of him from an offensive perspective doesn't concern me whatsoever. I honestly think that Ursan can completely fill the void that somebody like Ibaka left because of the way that Ibaka was getting his shots.
2: Not defensively though. That's where no, 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 no. Yeah, is. no, no. I mean, said take a bunch of charges. Like that's going to be huge. <laughs> Like a lot of charges.
1: <laughs> no, I said offensive. offensively. Offensively, yeah. Ilya Ova and Ibaka really aren't going to be that different at all because Ibaka, all Ibaka did was stand in the corner and wait for KD yep. or Russ to pass it, and if he wasn't in the corner, he was waiting at one of the elbows to shoot a jumper after one of those guys had already driven in. So Ibaka didn't create any offense. He, you know, it just it was a trickle down effect. So I don't, I don't, I don't really care about the offensive side. Mm-hmm. Defensively, you're completely right. I will say this little pick and roll action that Westbrook and Adams. Developed last year is really going to bode well for them moving into this year a cool little add-on that they did uh kind of at the end of last year was that Westbrook would kick it out and so it was really kind of like a read option almost right. and that's going to bode well the only problem is you know the three-point shooters they don't aren't have shooters. Nec- yeah they aren't necessarily They're, there for Westbrook the to fact, kick it out to
2: the fact that you have KD as you know all-world shooter I think kind of masked how how poorly the rest of this roster is going to shoot the ball. I mean, you have Westbrook, who's historically, what, a bottom three three-point shooting point guard in the history of the league. Right. Victor Oladipo has been extremely up and down, certainly not a, a great three-point shooter. Robertson's a complete non-factor, although he did hit a few in the playoffs. Ilyasova, like you said, I guess that's a wash with Ibaka from a pure shooting perspective. And then Steven Adams, who doesn't really spread, spread the floor at all, neither does his Cantor. I mean, the, the starting lineup for this team is basically going to have one above-average three-point shooter, and that's Ursan. Yeah, that's that's what I that's what I don't love about it. I think, <laughs> and what I said on our last pod too, is I really like Russell Westbrook. I just wonder. I mean, that, that everybody loves Russ, but is he going to be able to play 150 miles an hour for 82 games? Is he going to be able to do that for even 70 games? Well, if See, that's any- what it's going to take for them to get to 45 and a half.
1: Yeah, and the crazy thing is, and the bad thing for Thunder fans like me is that he can play 100 percent for 82 games, and that doesn't guarantee anything. So if we go back to these win totals. Um, We've got them at 40, or Vegas has them at forty-five and a half. I'll take the under on that. However, that still leaves open the possibility that they sneak into the playoffs. If we're looking at the Western Conference uh, finals or final standings last year, you had four teams underneath 45 wins that make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So I'll take, you know, right around a 41-41 record for Oklahoma City Thunder, but they can sneak in there as an 8 seed, a 7 seed, or they could just miss out as a 9 seed. By the way, that's what happened the last time Westbrook right. was manning this team.
2: Right, and and it's also easy to forget that they had Kevin Durant for a lot of that season. Um, I well, and a, lot, a, way, worse,
1: a way worse, way worse right. all around roster. But they did have KD for like what, yeah. like thirty, forty games or something like mm-hmm. that. So it's I know people want to make a direct comparison, and said they don't make the playoffs, but there were a lot of varying factors that you know that said. He can play one hundred percent all eighty two games and that does not guarantee them a spot in the it's mm. not it's not whether he can keep it up. It's whether he can get other guys involved or some other person on the team can legitimize himself as like an on the ball threat to where like, right. you know, other focus on the defense has to be had.
2: I think that has to be all the depot, but we'll see. Uh Spurs, like I said, are at fifty-six and a half tied with the Cavs. I don't want to talk about the Spurs too much. It's gonna be another Spursian season. Um, you know, I think there's gonna be a little bit of regression from Tony Parker. Manu Ginobili, you know, might play around 20 minutes per game off the bench. Duncan uh, out of the picture at this point, but I think the addition of Pau Gasol is going to keep them afloat at least as a you know a 55 win team in the West. But I just I just don't see how this team matches up with Golden State, uh, let alone even a team like the Clippers or the Jazz in the postseason. I do. Um, how is that? Ooh,
1: they play big. How? What? Well, I mean, if any coach is going to Golden State against-
2: has the depth to play big. That's the problem.
1: If there's any coach or any team that would go against an an entire league trend of going small, it would be somebody like the Spurs to just go for it, right? So Kawhi, as your small forward, I mean, he can play pretty big. Aldridge, Gasol. Aldridge and Gasol can just bang bodies down low. Do you remember when the Lakers— when the Lakers won the championship a while back, they had Bynum and Gasol as the Twin Towers. They played above the rim. You know, even when shots were missed, those two guys were just playing above everybody. The NBA
2: was completely different back then. I know that sounds weird to say because it was, what, eight years ago, seven yeah, years it ago? It wasn't long. But, yeah. I mean, it, it really was. I just the thing you can go big against Golden State, but th- what if they just go small? You know, like, which, which one of those wins out? Like, Golden State isn't forced to counter that with another big lineup. You know, you can go big against them, but if they go Draymond at center, that means Pal Gasol is guarding him, and that means Lamarcus Aldridge is guarding KD.
1: Yeah, so, well, I mean, Pachulia is a decent defender, uh, but Gasol, I mean, if you have Gasol and Aldridge on the floor together, which two guys are going to be guarding them down low? Do you move KD and he's guarding one of them? There's going to be an advantage on one or the other. So yeah. I don't know. Like, you're going to have either Draymond Green, David West, or Kevin Durant guarding the lesser guy, right? Or one of the two options. So you just attack that one and you go for it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're going to have somewhat of an advantage and you can talk about, you know, Golden State having a major offensive advantage, but if you slow it down, I mean, you can control the tempo on your side yeah. and you can match two points for two points or, you know what I mean? But it doesn't I don't necessarily know if have you
2: can, to... can though against Golden State. I, I like, I seriously, I like the concept. I, I get where you're coming from. And I think that's the way to do it. If you're the Spurs, you can't try to beat Golden State at their own game. No. Um, and, and, you know, I think Cleveland kind of found a balance between beating them at their own game and still, you know, retaining their offensive identity. Um, but I mean, the talent's there, I think, you know, certainly the coaching's going to be there for San Antonio, but I just, I just don't see how. Like, this team was not a Pau Gasol away you know, from... They didn't, even, I mean, they didn't even make the finals last year. They didn't make the Western Conference finals.
1: Well, I will say, out of all the strategies out there to beat the Warriors, adding Pau Gasol is one of the ones I like more mm-hmm. so because they have to attack it with Twin Towers. They can't attack yeah. it with you know speedy run-and-jump guys.
2: It was just a, a good talent grab, too. You know, there, wasn't, and... there really wasn't another move that made a ton more sense, I thought, for San Antonio. And if you're able to get Gasol, who obviously wants to be there and is, is a Popovich guy, uh, I think, in, in the style that he plays,
1: Unfortunately for them, the move to make was adding Durant
2: and it didn't yeah, happen. Yeah, you know, that didn't happen. Exactly. Um, so the Clippers are at 53.5. I had them, uh, I talked with James Anderson last week. I had them as my number two team in the West. I think they get past the Spurs this year probably by only a win or two. I mean, you, I could really go either way on that. Uh, I think the top three in the West is locked in, and I know you agree with me on that as well. Um, beyond the Clippers, like we said, Celtics are at 51.5. Other interesting teams, the Jazz, 47.5. This is a Jazz team that won 40 games last year, so to beat this, they're going to need an eight-game improvement. Lots of injuries. Rudy
1: Gobert was out for quite a
2: bit. Right. This team is
1: trending up weird, upward. The coach, Quinn Snyder, pretty solid young NBA coach. He's doing good things. I think you know this young core moving closer, inching closer. Let's not forget they almost made the playoffs. They barely missed out. Kobe Bryant kind of stole away the opportunity, although that their, their fate was sealed before that, that nighttime Kobe game went off. Um, but this team is trending upward, and I think it, this is a team you could easily say, wow, they're going to get to 50 wins this season. Like Somebody will legitimately try to make that argument, and then someone else can say "You know, they're not even going to be 500 because they haven't been. And I can see both directions. But like you said, those top three teams in the West are sealed. Four through 10 are kind of up in the air, and I don't think anybody should be too surprised if they fall in any order.
2: No, I completely agree with you there. Um, you know, I, I guess it depends which teams you're throwing in in that four through ten range, but I, I think there's kind of a consensus there. Well, let's um, let's rule
1: out Lakers, Suns,
2: Pelicans, Nuggets, Kings. Feel so bad for Anthony Davis. Yeah, and yeah, did you say Suns? I ruled them out. Yeah. yeah so, right. So, you're basically using last season's final ten teams and eliminating Sacramento and putting in Minnesota. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think Memphis is going to be a little bit better uh, this year just because of the unbelievable injury luck that they had last year. I think they suited up 28 guys throughout the season.
1: Who starts at power forward? Brandon Wright. I think or, Zach Randolph or Randolph. Okay.
2: Brandon Wright can't stay healthy. I think maybe it, maybe it becomes Brandon Wright at some point, but Randolph is still productive enough that you know, I don't think there's necessarily been talk about benching him. Right, maybe long term is is the better option, but I think we get another full year of of uh, Randolph starting. T Wolves, forty one and a half. Twenty-nine win team last season. So we're looking at a thirteen win jump to to hit the over here. If there's a team that's gonna jump up this drastically, I think it's Minnesota, right? Uh
1: them or the Jazz. So so here so me and James Anderson have a bet out there right now. We think we, – we basically, the core of the bet is we disagree on how much Minnesota is going to improve this year, and I think that's fair because Vegas is giving them quite a bit of an improvement. What is it, 12 games yeah. of an improvement? And let's let's remember – let's figure out why. It's because Tibbs is now the coach. You don't have Sam Mitchell there anymore. Also, you have another year of this young core uh, being you know more experienced. Remember what I said at the beginning of the podcast, though. They went with their five young studs at the end of last season because all hope was lost at that point in the year. Do I think that they're going to just go and play their five young studs and they're all going to progress? I don't know that that's necessarily going to be the case. Tibbs Tibbs is going to do whatever he wants to put the five best defensive guys together on the court. I think that Timberwolves are going to trend upward, but I think they're one year behind in that upward trend behind the Jazz. Mm. And so I think they're going to get better, but not markedly better. Um, and you know, and I think the Jazz will get better before the Timberwolves, well, because you know the new coach, the you know working together has already happened for them, and if the Jazz didn't do it, then I don't think the Timberwolves are, because the cores aren't really like terribly different. Obviously, Timberwolves could be better in the long run, but as of right yeah. now, I'm going to give the as the. The edge to the Jazz
2: over the Timberwolves. The Tibbles might have the two best players, though. That's what t- they have by far the the yeah. best player between either of those. Right, teams, but like their second to-
1: second and third years in the league after having right. bad coaching. I mean, like they yeah. have. We have to see if they even respond to Tibbs in the first place before sure. we go ahead and say like they're going to be a six or mm-hmm. you know six or seven seed in the playoffs.
2: Well, what I said to James last week was. This Minnesota team, it seems like a drastic jump. You know, if, if you th- if you think they're like a 45-win team, you know, plus 15 is a lot. You know, for you know, LeBron James did not sign with the Timberwolves this offseason. That doesn't just happen. <laughs> but I think you have to look at it as, yeah, they were a 29-win team last year. But had they not been coached by Sam Mitchell, maybe they were a 35-win team. And all of a sudden, jumping up to 45 wins isn't as drastic. I think they, they underachieved drastically last season. Um, so maybe if they do jump up to 45 wins... It's not much of an overachievement as much as it is just a natural progression. Um, We'll see, though. I think they're certainly the trendy pick. I mean, you see him as high as four or five in in some Western Conference projections. That leans so heavily though on Towns having like a transcendent second year, which is in the cards. I mean, it could happen, Um, but it's important to remember that he had one of the best rookie seasons ever, and they still won 29 games. Yeah, some bad predictions if if you ask me. Yeah.
1: So thanks a lot, Steve Kerr, for taking away the preconceived notion that we used to have that, you know, when a new coach comes in, things aren't gonna automatically as, be as good as they possibly could be with that coach. Normally, when you had a coaching change, uh, he would come in, make some changes, the players would have to respond to him, and then they would grow together. Now, because of Steve Kerr, we just automatically assume this is going to be like uh, a peak Chicago Bulls defensive team, and that, oh, yeah, maybe this Minnesota team has more weapons on offense than that Bulls teams did back when Tibbs was operating on all cylinders. It's not going to be like that. There's, I mean, there is a buffer period needed for this change, especially for a group of young guys who have. Not had good coaching at any point in their NBA careers,
2: right? But sh- I mean, shouldn't that mean that that kind of accelerates the process if the, the previous coaching was so bad? You know, I think there's no. I think that'll no. that'll translate and, and kind of smooth in the the transition to Tibbs.
1: No, no, it's going to be a harder transition for them because they're not <laughs>
2: because they've been coached so badly <laughs> that they don't know what it's like so to be coached fa- well. Yeah, they're so far at the end of the yeah. Spectrum. Maybe I I don't know. I mean, so where do you see the Wolves finishing? Then do they get into the playoffs?
1: No, I, I have them just outside. I think the th- like you know, like the Thunder and the Wolves could be fighting for that last spot in the playoffs. I think the Jazz are going to have a little more security going into this season uh, than they will at the end of last season, where they missed out by one game. Um, and I think I think it could be a finish to the eighty second game. You know, where we're watching kind of you know, last year was a great finish, and I think we could have a similar one between me, the Thunder
2: and the and the Wolves. Give me the Warriors at the one seed and the Wolves at the eight. That's a sweep in the first round, but that is maybe the most fun series of the entire Western Conference playoffs.
1: Yeah, who would I want to see the? I don't the Wolves against the Spurs, the
2: Thun yeah, the Clippers. Yeah, I mean to me, a, I mean I, I I say this somewhat in jest, but like a Warriors Timberwolves first round series is almost more intriguing to me than a Warriors Clippers Western Conference Finals would be. Yeah. I get that. Although, if the, although the Clippers making the Western Conference Finals would mean that you know Blake probably had a great year and everything went right. And I, I do think they do have the best chance to knock off Golden State. Um, and that's not saying a whole lot because I don't think the chance is all that great. But um, I mean, in the West, I think I like them more than the Spurs. Going back to Golden State quickly, I asked the same thing to James earlier. Do you think the Cavaliers or anyone in the West are a bigger threat to the Golden State Warriors winning the title?
1: The Spurs, for the reasons I mentioned. Um, there's just such a solid backbone of success that they have there, um, and they're adding on new pieces. They're not, like, overhauling anything. You know, they're adding a piece here, I mean, they did a lose there. a
2: key bench piece to the Warriors. Yep. He literally opted out of his contract with the Spurs to join the Warriors.
1: I'm right, but who cares? <laughs> about that? David about West cares.
2: I mean, I know David West cares, yeah. but I... I I just, I mean, the Spurs to me didn't get any better, and this is a team that didn't make it to the West Finals You're saying
1: that you're saying that Casal is the same as Duncan, like last year. I think he's a, a worse fit defensively. I will say this. Even though Duncan, you know, way past his prime and was probably ready to retire on those knees that he had, mm-hmm. you know, he does offer a lot of wisdom in, tor- in terms of – maybe right. he, may- he can't make that move as fast as he was able to in the past, but he's still making the right move, and that makes right. up for some lost ground or something like that that maybe Gasol won't be able to make up with. We'll see. I don't know. Who cares? I mean, honestly, it's I just it's don't the think they weren't good lose. enough to
2: get there last year. I don't-, I don't think they're good enough to get there this year. That's fair.
1: I th- I think we'll that's see. fine.
2: All right. Um real quickly a couple other interesting over under totals. The Nets are the lowest at 20 and a half. I think I would have to pound the under on that. Yeah. If I mean Brooke Lopez gets hurt at any point, this is arguably like the worst roster that we've seen in the NBA. Non Philadelphia division in the last 20 years.
1: Two teams finished worse or with less than 21 wins, 20, 20 and a half wins, I should say. 76ers and Lakers last year. Do I think the Nets are in the same territory They're this worse.
2: year? Yeah. I, I mean, Jalil Okafor, again, Brooke Lopez aside, because he's kind of what's keeping this Nets team afloat, but Jalil Okafor would be the certainly the most intriguing player on this Nets roster and arguably the second best player. Nerlens Noel is probably ahead of Okafor in that capacity. Like the Sixers. We're still an atrocity at this point last season, and I think the Nets are kind of in that same category right now. The best
1: way to look at this roster right now is how we did this unfolded on Twitter. I guess some of it was on instant messaging between mm-hmm. you and I and Twitter. The Nets came out with some awesome throwback retro. Not quite throwback, but like an ode to their... Yeah. And they, they got neutral a color nice scheme, gray, black, and white. I think they're the hottest jerseys in the league. Right. I like them the most, but I'm not going to buy them because I can't find a freaking jersey. They're going to have to, the strongest yeah.
2: contrast between on-court quality versus quality of jersey
1: right and i can't find unless you're a jeremy lin guy and i'm just not i can't even find a guy Whoa. that
2: i'd be willing to
1: racist come on okay, okay. wow come on
2: no yeah and finding the guy who would be who you would want like if somebody's like hey i'll buy you a free nets jersey what player do you I know want? that's one like, i think I... I would just say like uh, yeah. uh donate it do please. you guys... No. no donate thanks. it maybe caris lavert like that that's where we're at I don't know. I don't, I don't want to talk about this. This is going to get ugly. It's rough. Houston's at forty-one and a half. You mentioned your friendly wager um, on, on the Houston Rockets. I like what they've done. I, you know, I'm an unabashed fan of Eric Gordon. Although I do wonder kind of how he slots in alongside Harden. He's pretty much he's pretty much had an opportunity to start everywhere he's been, despite missing forty plus games with injuries every year. This is the first time in a while that there's a you know legitimate much better player at his position. Although, you know, Houston will certainly find ways to keep him and Harden on the court together quite a bit.
1: Yeah, I guess I never, when I I talked about the bet, I never actually mentioned what the bet was. I bet James Anderson that Houston would finish with a better record than the Timberwolves. Um, So that's where I'm coming from. Talk about a team that's kind of trending downward and one that's trending upward. The cool thing about what you're mentioning is Eric Gordon has been, you know, slotted into that starting shooting guard position. But in reality, over the course of his career, he's more of like a sixth guy off the bench. And he'd be a dang good sixth guy off the bench. He would.
2: I mean, it is easy to forget how good he was when healthy at the start of his career. I mean, this is a guy, like, he was ranked ahead of Derrick Rose coming out of high school, and not that, not that that means all that much, but he was really, really good at the college level. I mean, he averaged 22 points per game, you know, just five years ago uh, back with, I think, we're, the Clippers. We're
1: eight seasons into him yeah. having an injury-riddled career. It's all fun to talk about that, right. but, like, you have to assume well, he's going to play, you know, right. less than 70 games Last every five season.
2: seasons. He's missed 37 games, 21 games, 18 games, 40 games, and 57 games. And that's, this is beyond a trend at this point.
1: That's that's part of his portfolio that mm-hmm. he brings to your team. And I think the Rockets are okay with that because they're not slotting him in as their starting shooting guard. Right. They're slotting him in a, as an asset off the bench. And so th- finally, Eric Gordon is at a point in his career where he can
2: live up to expectation. A couple more over unders to touch on. We'll do these real quickly. Pelicans, 36 and a half. no way under yeah way under that that is the one that I look at if there is any of these that I disagree with strongly it's that one I if anything the roster got worse they lost probably their second and fourth best player in Anderson and Gordon I we don't know I mean the Drew Holiday situation is awful and we don't know when he's going to be back or you know how he's going to be able to play or how that's going to work I mean that's just that's its own wild card off at the side Tyreek Evans still somewhat up in the air Unless you think Davis is just going to completely carry this team to 37 wins, which I guess is possible if he's at his best. No, I don't know. But if Davis is like what people thought Davis would be last year, we've seen we've seen players his caliber carry, you know, arguably worse rosters to, to better win totals than this. If you're here in the
1: studio, as no one else is, you would see me holding up four fingers right now. We have four years of Anthony Davis on record, right? He's never played more than 68 games, and he's never proven to be a player that he can get the W for like for your team, put the team on your back, get you the win. He has not proven at any course over the last four years that he's that player. Sure, he had a couple yeah. buzzer beater winners, but we mentioned, you know, there's only a few if he players hits a in- buzzer
2: beater every game that you got to think about. Right? It. <laughs> <laughs> he just keeps hitting buzzer beaters. No,
1: he's not that type of player. We're still like <laughs> wanting to anoint him as you know he'll you know he's worth 15 wins or something like that. Anthony Davis is not. He's not that type of basketball yeah. player. We have four years on record be, of him not being that type of player. So don't start assuming that he's going to be able to carry a team full of, you know.
2: This is a bad roster. That's the biggest thing for me. Like If they returned the same rosters last year with Anderson and Gordon and everybody stayed relatively healthy, I wouldn't be totally out on the Pelicans. But there's just there's just nothing to like here.
1: Well, from a fantasy perspective, you like him, but we have to get away from that. Him, yeah, yeah. The rest but, of the team no. because I mean, LeBron James did. I know it's a different class of athlete, but you know, like other players have put teams on their back and gotten wins. Dwayne Wade did this. You know, Dwayne Wade wasn't like. I mean, I, I don't want to get into this discussion, but Anthony Davis is not the type of player that's going to go out there and get you a win. He's Are we the type really of,
2: going back to the Dwayne Wade know, Anthony Davis cop that you hear all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but I don't know. I mean, just look at this Pelicans <laughs> roster. Like, Omer Asik has been, you know, close to being traded 15 times over the last three years. And this is going to be their starting center, probably. Solomon Hill. Most people probably don't even know who Solomon Hill is. Starting oh, small forward. Tyreek Evans. Don't know when he's going to play. Like Buddy Heald was one of the worst players at Summer League. And Summer League, to me, doesn't mean much. I'm, I'm kind of willing to throw that out. But, I mean, they they kind of need Buddy Heald to be their second best player to start the year. And I don't see how that's going to happen. Their starters
1: right now are Tim Frazier, Etwan Moore, Solomon Hill, Anthony Davis, Omar Asik. If it was somebody for the el- record, I
2: think Heald starts at shooting guard, right? I don't see how they would justify that. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to change that right now.
0: Yeah,
1: on our depth charts right now, you will no longer see Etwan Moore listed yeah. above Buddy Hill, Of course, that's the fun of the off season. We're yeah. a month away, and some of this isn't finalized or categorized yet. Lance Stevenson, where are you at, man? Please it's make time the roster. You... Please make yes, the time, roster. Time Why for you not? To stand If you're the up.
2: Pelicans, just guarantee it all right now. Um, what other teams did I want to? Okay, uh, this will be the last one. So the Lakers are at 24.5. The Sixers are at 27.5. 27 and a half seems a little high to me for the Sixers. And, and the Lakers, I think, at 24.5 is just about right. I kind of figured that those teams would be, you know, maybe have the same estimated win total. I think they're pretty equal in terms of quality right now, but um, you know, I, you and I are both working on our, our watchability rankings, which is basically a complete ripoff of the ESPN uh, NBA League Pass rankings. And I think for me, the Sixers and the Lakers are both going to be probably top seven or top eight.
1: Wait, say that again.
2: In terms of watchability? Oh,
1: watchability. Okay, yeah. Sorry, I, I fizzled it out because I, there was just a hot take brewing in my head. I don't. Twenty-seven games. You're taking the under, right?
2: Uh, twenty-seven wins on the Sixers. Yeah, I thought I, Yeah, I think I'll take the under on that. I don't. I don't really care. I don't think it matters. I think they'll be fun to watch regardless. I think. But, yeah, yeah. No. No.
1: I agree. I agree. I, I will be watching them because I want to know how this front to... I don't know gonna... that Ben
2: Simmons makes them a drastically better team right away. No,
1: and that's what a twenty-seven over under win t- win, yeah. win total is going to suggest. But here's the thing: adding on Jared Bayless and adding on Gerald Henderson to your team does not mark the next frontier of anything, or the end of a process, or the the mark of the next phase in the process. I I hate how people are coming out and saying, oh, because they went out and got Bayless and Gerald Henderson, that now they're starting to win games. That doesn't mean junk to me. That means that they tried to up their average age, and that's about it. So I don't think they're going to come near 27 wins. I think they'll be lucky to hit the 20 marker. But again, you know, this team is I, I, they're still in a mess. They're still in a mess. They have too many front court players They don't they have, have to a point make a guard. decision. That's a problem. They don't have a point guard. Ben Simmons is essentially going to have a lot of on
2: ball time because, yeah, which is he, fine and probably for the best. He, yeah,
1: he's already probably one of the better passers in the league.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, they're certainly overloaded in the front court and a little bit barren in the back court, but at least, I mean, they, they do have capable options now. Like it, for the last couple of years, it was D leaguers. It was 10 day guys who were starting at point guard for this team. At least now you have,
1: oh, you're finally coming around to Robert Cummington, huh?
2: That, no, not at all. I <laughs> wasn't even going to mention him. Um, Jared Bayless, Gerald Henderson, like you said, like you have proven guys who are proven average NBA players as opposed to you know your T.J. McConnell's, your your ten day contracts rotating through. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean this is going to be a fun team to watch. Great uniforms. While we're on that subject, uh, the Lakers to me you can basically just make the exact same comments. Um, a lot of really fun young talent. A lot of really fun young talent that's probably not quite ready to make a, a huge impact in the wins column. Um, but I'm expecting a lot from D'Angelo Russell. I'm, I'm expecting quite a bit from from Julius Randle, um, at, at least statistically. I do have questions about what they're going to do at center. Um, you know, they gave Sixers, all that, that they, is? No, the Lakers. Oh, they gave Lakers all, all that money to Mozgov. You know, behind him, you don't really have anybody encouraging at all, Tariq Black and uh, Zubac. So, you know, we'll see how that shakes out. Um, I kind of like Luol Deng addition. I think it was a weird signing by them. It was a great money grab by Luol Dang, but he showed that he can be an effective power forward last season, which we really hadn't seen a lot of him. Mean, he's kind of a rover at this point. I mean, he can play shooting guard. He can play small forward. He can play power forward for this team. So, again, I don't think they're going to be very good, but I think Dang's going to be a nice piece to have to kind of solidify whatever those three spots needs uh, solidifying.
1: Yeah. We, you teased at the beginning of this podcast, we were going to talk about some relevant players and new situations. It looks like we're going to run out of time for that, but Al Deng was one of the players that I did want to talk about. So I'll touch base, maybe preview for our next podcast where we'll talk about relevant players and new situations. I don't know what to think of him because he's he's been trending downward, of course, and I do like that he's been playing power forward. But that was he was kind of thrust into yeah, that I mean, he, because he, of Chris Bosh. They didn't
2: want him to play power forward necessarily, right?
1: But. And so, I mean, if you're going to give that kind of money to Mozgov, you need to be playing him and assuming you know he's going to be the backbone of your defense for the majority of your time spent on the court this season. Meaning Julius Randle will play more so his natural position at power forward, and Lou Aldang will give you some presence you know, at small forward. But the thing is, like, you want to also play Brandon Ingram. And I think Lou Aldane could be ultimately phased out of this rotation as the season goes along. This is the third time I'll mention it, Nick. And this is a latter half of the season team where the starting five at the beginning of the season will completely change compared to the end when they look yeah. to give their young guys a bunch of time on the court.
2: But like who I mean who gets pushed out of the rotation? I don't I, mean, I think it's going to be Well
1: Brandon the Ingram goes is, in and Dang comes
2: out. Is not going to leave the rotation? I, mean, I think I think if any first of all I think I think Ingram's going to have to start an opening night, right? Like over who? Over Dang. Over Dang. Okay. Yeah. Well that, okay. How do you not start, you know, a guy like Ingram? I don't know. I mean it, it got just seems like it's histori- historically right. Historically there's not that much precedent for not starting a number 2 overall pick who you know has this kind of upside um so I mean I think Dang's probably fine coming off the bench like I said he, I mean he got the money he's you know he's done what he's needed to do in his career but he'll be a nice piece where wherever he's playing but beyond that I mean wh- who's going to be in this rotation or be playing over a young guy at the beginning of the year that might not at the end I mean to me it's going to be you know the top five or the starting five are Mozgov, Randall, Ingram, Clarkson, Russell and then you know you have Lou Williams off the bench you have Al Dang off the bench you have Larry Nance off the bench like is this a ploy to get you some more playing time, or what do you think?
1: Okay, so so starting five to here's what I'll I'll, I'll just list the five starters that we could have starting the year, and then the five starters I think will end the year. Okay, okay. so starting five to begin the year: Russell, Clarkson, Dang, Randall, Mozgov. Mozgov to end the year: Russell, Clarkson, in. Ingram, Larry Nance, and Julius Randall.
2: I don't know if they can get away with that. I think they that did would, last year, if Julius Randall grows like three inches sure i mean he's like six eight isn't he i think he's very generously listed we I, have him ju-
1: listed as six nine so i get it but i mean he has played center at, he, at portions
2: i mean he can be their little you know baby draymond experiment i guess at times but i just i don't know if you can play him in more than t- you know 10 minutes a game at center right now defensively i think from a rebounding perspective like he'd be fine nick from who's a,
1: who's their who's their new head coach
2: I almost said Byron Scott for some reason with Walton, of course. Yeah,
1: I know. So why wouldn't they maybe kind of go towards a smaller starting five with Randall at the five?
2: Right, but like Draymond doesn't start at the five. You know what I mean? Like they don't – I think that works for them because Draymond Draymond is like a singular – there's nobody else that can do what Draymond does. I mean no one else can really even try to replicate that and – Physically, I guess Randall is is a decent comp for Draymond, and you know, like you said, the link to Luke Walton. Maybe they do. You know, he he certainly has experience running something like that. I would like to see it. I mean, if you're the Lakers, why not? Um, but there is also the politics involved in all this. You just threw all that money at Mozgov. You threw all this money at Dang. Like, you know, I think it's it's tough to justify sitting. What is that? One hundred forty million dollars between the two of them on the bench. I, I think with these
1: two particular players, I think yeah. I think the league and, the, and their fans would be all right with that. Aspect. I think so,
2: too. Yeah, I think people are willing to if, – if it means that Timothy Mosgoff has to sit, then so be it. Um, all right, let's finish out with some trivia, like you said. We'll get to um, you know, the, the discussion that we talked about at the top of the podcast. We'll get to that uh, at a later date. So we did this one. We debuted it a couple podcasts ago. I'm going to name a group of players who all attended the same college. You tell me which college it was. So we're going to start with, um, and the theme for this one, for the most part, is these are all like, big-time schools. You know, they're high-major schools. I threw a couple wild cards at you f- the first time, and I think they were a little bit uh, over the top, but these are all high-major, power-five schools, and uh, that also means, though, that I'm not just giving you, you know, Michael Jordan and Vince Carter for, for North Carolina, and North Carolina's not included, so there's a hint. You can already cross them out, uh, but the first one is an SEC school. Nazi Muhammad, Antoine, Kentucky. Walker. Kentucky, sure. All right, there we go. You're already hot. Right. The other two were Tayshawn Prince and Rajan Rondo, for the record. Number two, a Big Ten team, Byron Mullins. Ohio State. There we go. All right, I don't,
1: like even this. Ha- don't even have to get to number two. See, I like how you make it easier and easier for me. Yeah. I actually no, of seem
2: somewhat competent. It, no, it's more fun when you get them right anyway. Big East School, Dante Cunningham. Villanova. All right, three for three. This is an AAC school, formerly, a, I think at their, in their heyday, they were a Conference USA school. Um, Will Barton.
1: You know, I grew up a Conference USA guy living in Tulsa. I used to go to Tulsa yeah. Hurricane Games, Reynolds Center. Come sure, on. so
2: maybe you, maybe you saw some of these guys, particularly this guy, Chris Douglas-Roberts. Memphis. Memphis, there we go. Was Penny Hardaway was, was also going to make the list, as well as Tyreek Evans. All right, you're four for four. Final one, Big 12 school. Tristan Thompson. Texas. Come on, this is a monumental moment for me. I'm feeling good. I I mean, compared to last time, this is is an unbelievable turnaround. (laughs) Um, All right, so moving on away from that category. Last season, which player became the first back-to-back All-Star MVP since the late 1950s? Oh, man. Kevin Durant? Incorrect. Russell Westbrook. Oh, sure. I, I don't have the... The answer sheet in front of me, but I believe it was Bob Pettit who was the last uh, back-to-back all-star MVP, but he did share one of those MVP awards. He was a co-MVP one year and a lone MVP the next year. So as far as I could find, Russell Westbrook is the only sole MVP in back-to-back all-star games. Nice. Which team holds the best single-season postseason record of all time? Which franchise, and as a bonus point, uh, what year did this occur? It wasn't too long ago.
1: Yeah. Was it the Bulls team? In no,
2: no, Mm-mm. fifteen and one in the playoffs. Fifteen and one. So that's a little bit of a hint as far as the number of games. Oh, is it now? <laughs> well, right. I mean, you know, because the I don't know what year exactly they switched from five right, to seven five. in the first round. Uh, it the was Spurs.
1: Spurs? Mm-mm. No. 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 I don't know, man.
2: The 2000-2001 Los Angeles Lakers, oh. so the second Shaq and Kobe title team, 56 wins in the regular season, uh, swept the Blazers in three games in the first round, swept the Kings in four games, swept the Spurs in the Western Conference Finals, lost game one to Allen Iverson and the mm-hmm. Philadelphia 76ers, and then won the next four, closed it out in Philly in game five for wow. their second title. James Harden led the league in free throw attempts last season, attempting 170 more—excuse me, 174 more free throws than second place finisher, who was Demar Derozan. No, I thought you were going to get that right based on the first part of your response, but no. Huh, Demarcus Cousins. There okay. we go. <laughs> I was just about ready to to (laughs) congratulate you. Um, Okay. The confetti started falling, actually. Yeah, right? Uh, What was the most popular number in terms of total number of players who wore this number in the NBA last season? Was it three? Was it five? Was it 23? Or was it 32?
1: Interesting. So... Nick and I work off a common shared Google Doc, as many people do in the podcast industry. And uh, your cursor was on 23. I wonder if that was a hint. You know I can see your cursor, and it has your name on it. I'm going to go with 23.
2: That was just aimless clicking. Uh, No, this is actually a trick question. Uh, It was a tie between number three and number five. 23 players wore each of those numbers last year. Wow. Seems kind of low, honestly, but Yeah.
1: 23, 3 and 5, I guess. Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, numbers. I guess
2: that's, you know, 23 out of 30 teams have a guy wearing that number. It sounds about right. Sure. Um, all right. Last question Which rookie finished second behind Carl Anthony Towns in win shares with 4.3 as well as value over replacement player, 1.1? So Towns was the runaway winner in both of those categories, but who finished second?
1: Emmanuel Moutier?
2: No. Miles Turner. No, good guess though. It's it's kinda obvious, I guess. It you know, I mean who else had a really good rookie year? Porzingis. Kristaps Porzingis. Okay. Four point three win shares, not bad at all for a rookie.
1: You know what's funny? When I think of win shares, I always think of point guards first. Not that I named point guards. Well I named Didier, but when I think of win shares, I always think of point guards and I you know, it can be any position player.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and I that is important to note that I, as far as I'm aware, I'm pretty sure. And win shares are calculated differently, but I use Basketball Reference, and I'm pretty certain that that does take into account like team wins. You know, like if you you could average thirty ten and ten, but if your team goes zero and eighty two, you're not gonna have any win shares. So sure. I mean, it helps to be on a good team, uh, which makes Towns' win share number I want to say it was like six point something, which for you know a team that won twenty nine games is is pretty impressive. Um, all right, any parting thoughts? Anything else that you wanna? get out there before we close this out
1: I'm excited man I'm just excited to get back into it you and I love the NBA get a little giddy and with football starting it's kind of been in the shadows but you know what we're only about 30 days away excited to be stuck in this little room with you cranking out these podcasts for the next what five six months
2: yeah more than that right I hope so are are we stopping are we stopping in March I sure hope not (laughs) Um, Yeah, so that'll do it for us. Um, We'll be back probably, I think we'll get one in later this week, whether it's with with you and I, you and James, me and James. There'll be at least one more pod this week, and we'll start getting them up in earnest uh, probably beginning Monday of next week.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in,